morning and welcome to another Sunday Conversation presented by FingerLakes1.com. I'm Josh Durso and today we are sitting down with Assembly Minority Leader Brian Cole. Fresh off the passage of a $175 billion state budget, he had a lot of insight on the laws and the things that are going to be changing in the coming months, including what the spending trend looks like here in New York State moving forward. My entire conversation with Leader Kolb coming right up after this quick break. Today's episode is brought to you by the FingerLakesOne.com Marketing Alliance, your one-stop solution for all things local digital marketing. Are you a small business trying to navigate the world of marketing and advertising? There are a lot of options. New Pure Research shows that people are overwhelmingly choosing digital over print and radio for local news, and our reach proves that. In 2018 alone, FingerLakesOne.com was accessed more than 22.5 million times. FingerLakesOne.com has been delivering the most comprehensive news product in the region since the beginning, all the way back in 1999 when internet news seemed like a far-fetched pipe dream. In the 20 years that have followed, millions of readers, viewers, and listeners have been asking for local leads on things to do, places to stay, and services offered. They aren't just clicks or impressions. They're real-life people who want to spend their money. Shouldn't they be spending it with your business? Getting access to those leads, a growing, diverse digital audience, is affordable, too, with the Marketing Alliance. In 2018, the average cup of coffee costs $2.70. If there's anything we know, it's that small business owners live on coffee. That adds up to $81 a month and also happens to be a dollar more than a monthly Alliance membership. Get leads, share your specials, events, and gain exposure that grows by the minute on FingerLakes1.com. To join or learn more, click on the FLX Deals tab at the top of the FingerLakes1.com homepage or by visiting deals.fingerlakes1.com. All right, leader. Welcome, uh, welcome back to the program. Thanks for being here. Uh, you've probably been a little bit busy the last uh, two or three weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Especially uh, over the, this past weekend, uh, from the time I got up on Sunday morning to the time I went back to bed on Monday afternoon, I was up thirty-one straight hours dealing with the ending process of the New York State budget. That's that is not a fun weekend. That doesn't sound like a fun weekend. It's not fun, and it's also not necessary. It, uh, it really, the between the governor and the two majorities in both houses, they did a really terrible job, uh, which inflicts a lot of discomfort, not just to the legislators, but uh, certainly to all of the staff, the hundreds of people that work in Albany, uh, and that are, work on the budget uh, for all the minorities, majorities, central staff. It's not uh, something to put uh, individuals and their families through. It's just not necessarily, and it's that's what you call a not a well-run machine. So what are the, this is probably the, the big question that kept popping up, what are the real-life implications of a $175 billion budget? Well, it really depends on what your interests are, and because it is such a large budget, New York has over 19 million people, and there are people interested in health care, people interested in education, people are interested in criminal justice. It really depends on what your, um, shall we say, keen interest is. Uh, if you're just looking at it from a taxpayer perspective, mm-hmm. if you're looking at it from living in the MTA region, which is the Metropolitan Transit Authority region, which is downstate uh, primarily, because all of those things, and I'm just giving you an example, 
in fact, I, I brought two little cards which are uh, very detailed, but this is just a smattering of what um, we took up. So as an example, we're going to have a ban on plastic bags, uh, and a lot of people I'm hearing from uh, don't like that. If you're an environmentalist, you think this is the greatest idea since uh, sliced bread. Uh, when you look at the uh, uh, upstate uh, interests in this budget, I don't think that upstate was done any favors in any way, shape, or form. Um, was there uh, education increase? Yes, about a 3.5% average. But that, again, is distributed across the entire state. And even some of our school districts in this area, the way this formula works, or the formula has always have worked, isn't necessarily treating everyone equally and fairly. And that's why it's difficult to hone in on one, one particular area, Josh, because it, you know, there's so many different things that affect people's lives uh, throughout the state. Now, you mentioned the, the plastic bag ban. Obviously, that probably one of the ones that's gotten the most headlines over the last month or so. Um, what was it like sort of trying to navigate through that process of seeing that legislation be bundled into uh, this budget? Well, that's what's wrong with the budget process is the fact that uh, they try to cram in a lot of things that would have a very difficult time passing on its own merit as a single bill. So, for instance, the, whether it's the five-cent ban on plastic bags, whether it's the criminal justice uh, reforms that were put in, which uh, are more pro-criminal than they are pro-victim, uh, uh, these things could really maybe not stand on their own, and that's what they try to do. And then the other uh, facet of this whole process uh, is the fact that it's crammed in in the, last, in the 11th hour, so to speak, so the public is left in the dark as far as what's being proposed and so it minimizes the ability for the public to weigh in and say hey I like this idea I don't like this idea I, I think this could be a little bit better or I don't want that at all and that's the problem it's because it's it's all done in the secrecy uh, in the back rooms and uh, where the majorities and the governor uh, hash a plan out which I think uh, it should not be done in secrecy. It should be done in, in a full uh, light of day. In, in a perfect world, should the, the budget be a financial bill and that is it without all of the policy attached to it? Yes, and it's not even in the perfect world. That's the world it should be in uh, because it's a, you know, the budget is about how much revenue you're going to take in mm -hmm. and how much of that revenue you're going to spend. Now, New York State has to have a balanced budget. Uh, we're not allowed, allegedly, not to spend one more dollar that we, than we take in uh, versus the federal budget where they deficit spend, which is they're spending money we, they print uh, mm -hmm. versus what's actually coming in the door as far as revenues. So having said all that, um, it even showing right now that based on this spending plan and based on the revenues coming in, that next year already into next fiscal year, we could be in the whole $5 billion. Uh, so it's an irresponsible budget from that perspective. And everything, but but there's so many things else that are crammed in, you know, it sort of loses, and that's what ends up being talked about in the media, is those other things versus is this really a sound fiscal plan for the taxpayers of the state of New York? I don't happen to think it is. Mm -hmm. Now, to that end, one of the items that did not get put in the 
budget, and I think to a lot of people's relief, was marijuana legalization. Um, that seems to still have some legs. That's probably still going to get some discussion over the next couple of months as you guys roll through uh, the rest of the session. Um, are, is, is, are Republicans satisfied with where that was left in the budget process? At least that wasn't included and bundled into it, meaning a little more time to sort of digest it, think about it, look at the numbers? Well, actually, I think in at least right this second, mm -hmm. uh, I think it was a bi bipartisan relief. Democrats and Republicans alike are saying, you know, there's not enough detail yet about how New York State would roll out recreational marijuana. Mm -hmm. uh, we already have medical marijuana, which is different than recreational marijuana. And certainly some of the things that are being cited, uh, the statistics out of Colorado, which where it is legalized, a uh, higher number of uh, drivers impaired, higher number of automobile accidents. Um, uh, the medical community is weighing in saying, we just don't think this is a great idea. Addiction counselors are saying, we don't think this is a good idea. District attorneys and law enforcement are saying, we don't think this is a good idea. And that, that goes beyond uh, party registration. And so, you know, Governor Cuomo is saying, yes, we're going to have it by uh, the end of June. Well, my view is that until you roll out or what's put out there for the public to weigh in on, uh, it can't be one of those uh, subjects that can just be crammed through. Now, I would also tell you, Josh, there are a lot of people, I did an unscientific poll, social media, um, that could care less, that they say, well, I, you know, smoking pot, uh, it's no worse than someone drinking alcohol. There are a lot of people out there that feel that way. Yeah. Uh, but <clears throat> again, when you start talking to uh, professional medical profession and law enforcement, you know they have a different point of view. And this is what has to be, I think, openly discussed with the public uh, to sort it out before we go, go forward. What about the, now I had talked to some different folks on this program, a couple of other programs, um, the economic development part of it, the, the possible economic stimulus to the farm industry and, and that part of this. Um, Ontario County Board of Supervisors Chairman Jack Marin, right on this program a couple months ago, uh, said that he saw it as sort of a, 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 an opportunity, if nothing else. Um, are there potential, is there potential there for some uh, help in, you know, look at the Finger Lakes as an example, maybe there could be a little assistance there? Well, that, <clears throat> I think that's yet to remain seen. I, I think, um, uh, quite frankly, I think it's too premature right. uh, to say, oh, this is going to be a boon to the agricultural industry in our state. Uh, quite frankly, in this past budget, as a matter of fact, uh, the Democrats, which control both majorities now and the governor, uh, actually removed uh, financial assistance grant programs to agriculture just in this year's budget. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas in prior years, at least the Senate Republicans, you know, made sure we were putting aside uh, financial support for the agricultural industry. So these are the sort of the questions that remain on all of this. And of course, the other thing that always remember right now, uh, from a federal perspective, uh, you can't ship uh, marijuana <laughs> across the border. Yeah. Uh, it's illegal still in the federal law. And now I know that there's discussion in Washington to maybe change that to let the states decide for themselves, which maybe they will, maybe they won't. So there, that's why all this isn't as uh, simple as it, it meets the eye. Uh, so 
Before we get into some of the other things uh, that have been popping up in the budget, I do want to throw the question over to you. What were a couple of the items or any of the things that you saw in the budget that you were happy with, that you were satisfied with, or even going through the process? Were there any items that popped up and made it through uh, that, you know, to your relief, were actually packaged in there? Well, <clears throat> probably the one thing, is, and again, it wasn't the best outcome, but certainly the fact that money was increased to our schools across the state. Um, so you can never say that's a bad thing. Right. Uh, but as I mentioned to you earlier, but there's still school districts uh, that are not, uh, shall we say, getting their fair share of school aid. And that mm -hmm. is a problem. But that has to do with how money is being directed and how it's being driven in the, in the formula. Uh, when you look at the fact that, uh, you know, there's some uh, aid uh, to uh, localities and municipalities and libraries, you could say, well, that's good because what the governor originally proposed was cutting it. And so what's been put back in the budget is last year's level of spending, mm -hmm. but you're comparing that to, I don't think that's great, but it's better than what the governor proposed as a cut. Mm -hmm. uh, when you look at direct care workers, uh, they're going to get a, a 2% increase, which won't go into effect till January 2020. But again, compared to what the governor proposed, it was zero. Uh, so, uh, you know, though, and, you know, it's kind of like, wow, it's better to get stabbed than shot. <laughs> uh, and that, that's sort of why all those details the general public just doesn't get to see mm -hmm. uh, is, you know, the, they say, all right, let me know when it's all over and then I'll figure out whether, you know, how bad it is or how good it is for me as an individual and, and family. So, uh, and that's the, the difficulty um, with a budget of this significance and size uh, until you really get into and say, well, wait a minute, Governor Cuomo was going to cut all these programs, like libraries. Mm -hmm. But then they restored what we spent last year. And as the libraries might be going, you know, we're getting the same amount, but they, they were threatened with a cut. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's, you know, what I spoke about at the end of the session uh, was about that with about uh, a, a, a contrived formula in terms of aid to um, municipalities for roads mm -hmm. and, and all that. Uh, some of these things were you know, jury-rigged, uh, not necessarily what you would call the best uh, program or the best outcome. And, uh, but, but certainly, you know, and that's what these advocacy fights are for, and that's what we do. So it's interesting you mentioned that. Um, creating this scenario where you get these little false wins, is that, is that politics from the, the governor's office and the governor's administration? Because that we've, we've had a lot of conversations on uh, another podcast, Jackie Augustine and I, about that, how using the AIM funding as an example felt like it was built around to, to give these small communities a false win. Well, you got your funding, but that funding really shouldn't have been among the things to get cut to begin with. Is, is that sort of that, that push and pull of just state politics? Well, it's, uh, it's, it's state politics, but it's more about Governor Cuomo politics because he creates the executive budget. He's the one that creates, has created agita for uh, municipalities. He's the one that created agita for libraries. He's the one that created agita for direct care workers by 
not having anything in his proposed budget. Mm -hmm. uh, now, not, you know, the governor's people would, might say, well, that's because we know the legislature is going to restore. And I'm saying you shouldn't do that in the first place. Mm -hmm. Put out a real budget. Uh, and then, you know, that's when you have your back and forth after that. But to me, if the governor puts out and proposes cuts, and that's his proposed executive budget, he's playing games with a lot of people's emotions. I think it's irresponsible. I think that's what ma makes turns people off on, on politics, as you say. Um, there, there's no legitimate reason to put people that are depending upon uh, these funds and, and uh, these outcomes um, to get them all riled up and mm -hmm. travel to Albany. And it's not just these items, it's, it, it's everything. You know, you know, the governor was proposing health care cuts, is proposing cutting uh, reimbursements for ambulances that serve upstate. Mm -hmm. um, and that got restored. But, you know, people were saying, hey, we may have to close down some of our rural ambulance services. Why, why do that to people? Mm -hmm. And I really think some of this uh, is political haymakers that the governor's throwing back to upstate, knowing full well that this is where the primary audience is, because upstate did not uh, support him uh, in general. Mm -hmm. 47 out of 62 counties did not vote for Governor Cuomo in last year's uh, governor's election, and he is a very, very vindictive individual. And this is his this is his way of saying I'll show you who's boss, and uh, and get people you know all riled up. And a lot of people have made that argument. Um, obviously, there's been a lot of focus on direct care workers um, throughout this budget process. Um, why was that such, or why has that been such an issue this year as opposed to some other years where it hasn't quite made uh, as many headlines? And then also, are you optimistic? Uh, about the state being able to sort of correct on some of these issues um, that have made it made it tough in that in that line. Well, I'm going to try to because this is a to me a very important topic, mm -hmm. and it, it this affects people's lives. and And for those that may not be familiar with direct care workers, are those are the folks uh, that work for Seneca Cayuga ARC for Ontario ARC for those that are working with people that are disabled, uh, whether it's individuals, families. So you're talking about uh, uh, the disability community and those people that take care of the disability community. Now, having said that, the, uh, the caretakers do not, uh, this is not private business. They're, they're usually getting their funding to pay their workers from Medicaid, which comes from New York State, which comes from the federal government. So there's no way to increase prices mm -hmm. to increase, to generate more money to pay people. You have to rely on government to provide the f uh, funding right. stream. Well, what's happened over the last couple of years and why this has become more of an issue is that with New York State raising minimum wage, um, now, and it's quite uh, um, real, is that someone could go to work for uh, a fast food chain and make more money uh, flipping burgers or, or servicing in McDonald's or any place else for that matter, versus trying to lift someone out of a wheelchair, trying to feed someone that can't feed themselves. And that's not an easy job to do. And so, but what's happened with the minimum wage increases, there's no way to bring in enough revenues to pay 
good wages for the people that are already working for you. Mm -hmm. So the additional financial assistance that we've been pushing for through the state budget is to just pull even to the mandated minimum wage increases, not only for those care workers, but for the other workers who are in, working in the healthcare industry. And so two years ago when this push started, Governor Cuomo at the 11th hour, and I was there, because uh, I was at the forefront among others, saying we need more money from New York State. The governor says, well, I'm gonna come in, I'm gonna, get, I'm gonna save the day, I'm gonna provide all the millions of dollars to do this. And so that, then eventually more money was put into last year's budget. And then this year, as I said earlier, he started off with zero. So he broke the promise. And yet a lot of people nervous about how are we gonna take care of these workers? And even like I went and looked at uh, uh, the financials with Ontario ARC several weeks ago, the money that New York State increased still does not pull them even with how much been mandated by the minimum wage increase. So they're still behind. And then this year they're saying, well, now we're not gonna increase your, the contribution till 2020. So there's gonna be no money in 2019. And even that 2% increase, although they were promised three and a half increase, is not enough. It's outrageous, outrageous. And then we're spending close to another billion dollars on economic development and Hollywood tax credits. I mean, this is so wrong on so many fronts about priorities of spending. And that's why, you know, I've been railing about it, uh, and I'm not the only one, but when I had my closing remarks at the end of uh, the budget uh, the other night, or morning, I said, this is, this is wrong. All of you that came up with this budget were the two Democrat majorities and the governor, they're wrong. Uh, this is not the way to treat people and who suffers, the people that need our help the most. Mm -hmm. And that's why this is such a, a big thing. It, it seems like on the surface it's pretty easy to spot where this whole thing started. Um, so the, the really point-blank follow-up question is, when minimum wage, when that legislation was pushed through, um, which now I think we're, what, four or five years removed from that, um, how was this not identified or how were these sort of ancillary issues not identified as possible roadblocks three, four, five years down the line from that point? Because they weren't interested in having public hearings about it or, or asking those questions. That's why. It's like, well, we'll worry about it later. And uh, it was wrong to artificially increase minimum wage. Uh, I mean, I think the national, I'm not positive about this, but I think it's, it might be eight or nine dollars an hour. And uh, now we're at 1040, 1070 maybe. It's going to go up to 12 in upstate, 15 in downstate. Uh, that's artificially raising um, costs to everybody, and which why it's more expensive to live here. Now, I'm not saying minimum wage was never designed to be a living wage. It was an entry-level wage. Which your, your first wage when you start off with no skills, no education, no experience, that's what minimum wage is supposed to be about. But what they've changed the narrative is that, well, you can't live on minimum wage. Well, no one said you were supposed to. It's an entry level, first time into the workforce um, wage. Mm -hmm. And this is how politics, you know, changes the narrative. And then, you know, of course, you got to 
uh, in, in my personal opinion, the Albany Press um, does nothing uh, to raise these issues uh, or even stay on these issues afterwards. Um, and that's why the general public kind of, you know, doesn't, doesn't quite get it or doesn't really understand it because there's just never enough information out there for everybody to understand or, or, or get how it, it affects them directly. Uh, so obviously you mentioned some of the changes coming to the criminal justice system, uh, bail reform. It's, it's real, it's happening. Um, I believe it is no cash bail on misdemeanor offenses, correct? Is that the nonviolent misdemeanor offenses? Is that the way it is going to be rolling out here? Yeah, it eliminates cash bail for most misdemeanors mm -hmm. and nonviolent felonies. And it, you know, for instance, it uh, requires police officers to issue a desk appearance ticket rather than making an, an arrest, except for you know certain types of felonies. Right. Um, you know, there, what they've done is, and in, in the changes that they made is going to be more of a burden on law enforcement, more of a burden on uh, district attorneys and um, prosecution, and it's much easier for a criminal or a person breaking the law, a lot easier not to be held accountable uh, for uh, these offenses. And another example is they're you know, eliminating, uh, at least the state troopers, are mugshots uh, for people who have been arrested. Now, I'm not for embarrassing anybody, uh, but there's also been stories out there where, you know, the mugshot's publicized and someone says, hey, I remember that was a guy that robbed me or uh, took my purse or, or uh, committed another offense. And, and all I'm saying is none of these things protect the public. Mm -hmm. None of these things make it safer for the public. It's better for a potential perpetrator, but not mm -hmm. for the public. And this is where I think they've lost their minds, literally, is when you start doing things to make our communities less safe, that is, a, that is the major problem here. And for a law-abiding citizen, is this going to impact their life for someone that's um, following the law? No, because they're not getting arrested. But on the flip side, do our make our streets less safe? The answer is yes. Does it make it easier for uh, a criminal defendant to uh, skirt the law? Yes. And that's not what we should be doing in state government. Yeah, it's interesting because that, that is one of, one of the more compelling arguments that I've heard so far is that uh, sex assault victims, as, as an example, oftentimes will uh, see perpetrators in a mugshot and come forward as a result of that. So that is definitely an issue. Um, is there concern from the lawmakers' perspective that uh, arrest reports might be next, maybe next year or, or come down the road? Obviously, it sounded like that was uh, the governor's goal from the start. Is that sort of gauge where that temperature sort of sits right now? Well, we're not sure. Mm -hmm. uh, and I will tell you this, it, this would, this, the things that they put in this budget uh, would never have passed on an up and down vote in the legislature, even with Democrats in power, when they would have had to put their name as a yes in the public record of supporting these initiatives. But because they put it in the budget with 20 other things, for instance, they put it in the same budget. It's not a revenue uh, item. This is all uh, dealing with criminal law. Mm -hmm. 
not with revenues and spending. They put it in the same bill where we have the permanent property tax cap. (laughs) And so they were trying to get legislators to vote for it because a legislator didn't want to vote against having a permanent tax cap. I've been in favor of a permanent property tax cap forever, but I didn't vote for this bill. There's no way Mm -hmm. uh, because this is what you have to look at, the positives, the negatives in the bill, and uh, hey, um, you, this is where you sit back and say, I, you know, as much as I want a property tax cap, and I do support it, and I've already had a vote on the record, there's no way I'm going to vote for these criminal justice things that are going to make our, uh, uh, our public safety at, at more risk than it already is. Mm-hmm. Uh, another item that uh, had been popping up, and I, I believe was really heavily discussed in the last 10 days or so, prevailing wage. Um, what are sort of the real-life implications for Upstate and the Finger Lakes uh, with a piece of legislation or a concept like the one that was discussed so heavily in those last 10 to 15 days? Well, the good news is expanding prevailing wage did not make it into the budget. Now, there is legislation that is out there. The sponsor in the Assembly is Harry Bronson out of Rochester. Well, if you listen to him, he'll make you believe this is, again, the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it's not. Uh, what prevailing wage really is increase mandates the increased cost of labor rather than a competitive bid, and they're expanding this out beyond the realm of public works projects. In other words, those things are paid for by the taxpayers to those things that may be um, paid for uh, by the private sector or by private uh, businesses and entities. In fact, uh, just today in the Rochester Business Journal, I think it was published today, is I wrote an op-ed mm-hmm. about why this is a bad idea. Yeah. And the good news is uh, it didn't make it in the budget. But there were a lot of organizations that were basically saying, are you kidding me? You're going to drive up the cost of projects and building and development by 15, 20, 25 percent. And so they tried this. I think it was in, um, I almost think it was Westchester County. I can't remember the exact county it was. It could have even been Rockland. But all of a sudden when they put this provision in, Mm -hmm. all construction development stopped, went to zero. It becomes unaffordable. Yeah. So then they, guess what they did? They got rid of the provision. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this is what, and I hate to say this, this is what uh, is is happening to our state is these so-called progressive policies are turning our state into a even more so where you don't want to to live uh, build a business start a business do construction and you know right now the boon has been in New York City and what I'm saying is some of the things that they put in this budget uh, are now going to uh, they uh, more real estate taxes Conge- or uh, traffic uh, taxes. Uh, they kept the millionaire's tax even longer. These things are going to come back to bite the New York State economy. And, uh, you know, this is ultimately it's going to hurt our state. And that's what the progressive mindset is. I don't care. We'll find someplace to tax. So is there any reason, geez, if, you're, if you're a small business owner and you are struggling to get by right now here in the Finger Lakes, um, what what is the the what's the driver? Is there a reason to be optimistic that things aren't going to just keep getting more expensive and more difficult to operate and and tougher to expand and tougher to hire more people? 
you know, all the things that we seem to hear from folks who run these businesses every day. Am I optimistic right this second? I'm less optimistic than I've ever been before, and I'm a guy that's a glass half full versus half empty. But I've owned my own business. I uh, started a business with my partners here, right here in, in the Finger Lakes in Wayne County. Um, and I would tell you, I talk to business owners and small businesses, it gets tougher and tougher every single day. And that's not even, and, and forget, I would say, cost of utilities, workers' compensation, um, property taxes. Uh, but you also have the regulatory impact, whether it's the state DC or the state labor department, um, the state health department, who continually to overregulate and kind of fine harass uh, uh, people in, in their businesses. And Josh, for those that, those that can leave, they're leaving. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, I would say the average person you know, people love New York. You know, I love New York growing up here, but it's getting harder and harder to justify to stay here mm -hmm. when you can go to Florida or and forget Florida. It's not the weather. There's no state income tax. Right. You can go to Tennessee. You can go to the Carolinas. You get better weather, uh, even though you still could get kind of crazy weather. But if you're trying to hold on to your hard-earned money, yeah. and that's what people are talking about. Look at. I want to. I want to save for my my kids and grandkids future mm -hmm. uh and where's the best place to do that it's it's certainly not new york state uh the biggest question that we've had from readers in the last week has been uh the the risk level for prison state prisons in the finger lakes uh to be among those that will uh, apparently be closed <coughs> this year uh totally a legitimate concern Right now, current statute says for any uh, prison closure, there has to be one year's notice. Mm -hmm. Right now. Mm -hmm. So what do they do? They change the ground rules. So now they change it and 90 say days. 90 days. Uh, and then the, first they started off with three. Mm -hmm. Then they said, oh, no, we're only going to do two. And now they're saying they added another provision. Well, if the governor decides to go with three, Mm -hmm. He can. And my point being is there's been uh, no discussion, no hint of where these facilities are, what the issues are as to why they would uh, justify being closed in the first place. Um, at the budget hearing, which was last month in February, mm -hmm. uh, the Commissioner of Corrections appeared before the budget uh, committee, joint budget legislative committees and never brought it up. It wasn't until after he was done testifying that all of a sudden word leaked out that that's what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. This is unconscionable. Mm -hmm. And uh, Governor Cuomo was saying, well, prisons aren't supposed to be about economic development. Well, <clears throat> hello, Governor, where a, where a prison facility is located, regardless what it is, if you close that facility, it's going to have an impact on the local economy, the people that work there, live there, shop there. And mm -hmm. also, quite frankly, Whereas that whatever prison population is in the prospective prison to be closed, mm -hmm. what's the makeup? Where are they going? Uh, mm -hmm. Is the public going to be more at risk? Uh, this is this is such a non is it such an anti-public safety uh, proposal or and continuation thereof, uh, and that's when people are concerned about all that. Uh, my last question for you, 
we've talked about it, I think, every time you've come in, uh, Brittany's Law. Is, is there any optimism that this could be the year that this gets all the way across the finish line? Well, here's, it's, as you know, historically it's passed in the Senate, Senate. when it was controlled by the Republicans. Mm -hmm. I don't know if it's going to move in the state Senate. Uh, the problem in the state assembly is that uh, I, I was the original sponsor of the bill. Mm -hmm. I gave my bill to assembly Democrats that said, well, uh, we'll get it because an assembly Democrat has to carry this bill. Okay. Well, it's been in assembly Democrats' hands now for better part of four years, and they've done nothing with it. And there's even been different versions uh, that have been introduced to try to answer any concerns. Now, here are the, you know, the same people that rail in the Me Too movement, the same people that are screaming at the top of their lungs because Joe Biden uh, put his hands on somebody's shoulders, yet you have a piece of legislation out there that should be passed so that there's a, a public record out there of uh, violent yeah. felony offenders, violent, not just someone that's committed a felony, uh, yet they won't. A move on it and their whole rationale is they just make up stuff uh, we don't want someone to have a scarlet letter because they've been convicted and have served time with a violent felony and this is what I mean it's a continuation of not being concerned about public safety and you know this keeps going in this direction you know bad things are going to happen to good people the law-abiding citizens and quite frankly, there's only one place to look, and it's all those elected. And I just say this, it's, it's, it's partisan in this way. Uh, the the anti-public safety lack of doing measures or doing things uh, to help criminals is all coming from the Democrat Party in this state. And that's not me just saying it because I'm Republican. It's factual, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a problem. Appreciate the time, as always. Appreciate you having me on. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Be sure to check out new episodes every single Sunday right here on FingerLakes1.com. And until then, subscribe to our YouTube channel, download the podcast on your favorite podcasting platform, and be sure to download the FingerLakes1.com app. We'll see you next week, guys. Be well.